All aboard! We're on the little train that goes from Jerusalem's Jaffa Gate and weaves through the sacred old city down to the Western Wall to pray. And we want to invite you to come along and support us financially so that the Jerusalem Channel can continue to move in the presence of God throughout this old city and throughout this nation. Thank you for supporting us, and we invite you to go to the donate page of our website, JerusalemChannel.tv. God bless you out of Zion. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Even though the great 18th century revivalist John and Charles Wesley never set foot in Jerusalem because they knew the Word of God, they had better prophetic insight than most people today into the significance of the nation of Israel. One of Charles Wesley's many hymns expressed the Zionist dream to rebuild Jerusalem and the Third Temple simply because Charles anticipated this fulfillment of God's Word. Shalom, I'm Christine Darig. Why is it that Christian theologians and leaders in previous centuries clearly foresaw that the Jewish people would return to the Holy Land in the last days, while today many Christians who have the benefit of even being eyewitnesses to the reestablishment of the Jewish state don't seem to have a clue about its significance. And they're even opposing it. Well, the answer is because of biblical illiteracy. Most of the people attending mainline churches today are sadly biblically illiterate. They're not taught about God's covenants with the nation of Israel. However, the Wesley brothers who founded the Methodist denomination clearly foresaw what's going on today in our times, despite the fact that they didn't have any tangible clues within the events of their day that Israel would ever rise again. Charles Wesley wrote what's been called a Zionist hymn, but actually, it's just a biblically correct hymn that was included within a collection published by John Wesley. And because the hymnal was compiled by John Wesley, the Zionist hymn is often attributed to him. But in fact, it was actually penned by his brother Charles, who has been the church's most prolific hymn writer through the ages with more than 6,500 hymns to his credit. Many of Charles Wesley's songs of praise are still in hymnals the world over. Beloved titles such as Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, and the Christmas Carol, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. Now let's hear the lyrics of the so-called Zionist hymn and see how Charles Wesley envisioned the reestablishment of the state of Israel, the rebuilding of a third temple, and the handing of the gospel baton from the church back over to Israel. From favored Abraham's seed, new apostles choose. 
in aisles and continents to spread the dead reviving news. Them, snatched out of the flame, through every nation's sin, the true Messiah to proclaim. His reference to the Jews being snatched out of the flame seems to me like a prophecy of the Jews' deliverance from the Holocaust. And now listen to this prophetic stanza. I'm not going to read all of the stanzas. You can look them up if you want to on the internet. But this one was particularly prophetic. Rebuilt by his command, Jerusalem shall rise, her temple on Moriah stand again and touch the skies. And folks, it's happening. Every day it seems there's a new item in the news about the rebuilding of the third Jewish temple. For example, Breaking Israel News is celebrating 2,000 articles written by Adam Eliyahu Berkowitz over the past five years. Mind you, 2,000 articles specifically just about the ongoing Jewish redemption in our day. And the Temple Institute in Jerusalem is also regularly sending out news items about the ongoing restoration of temple treasures and the reinstitution of temple sacrifices, altars, priestly garments, and musical instruments to be used in temple worship. But way back in the 1700s, Charles Wesley's hymn continued with a clarion call for emissaries to go out and bring the Jews back to the promised land. This hymn is a prayer to God because it says, Send thy servants forth to call the Hebrews home from east and west and south and north. Let all the wanderers come. Wherever in lands unknown the fugitives remain, bid every creature help them on thy holy mount to gain. Well, we might ask, why aren't the Methodist churches singing this hymn today? But tragically, too many of them are either busy boycotting the Jewish state, or they simply are unaware of God's end-time promises to Israel and to the Jews. But the Wesley brothers, who so greatly impacted the history of Christianity, had a father who was an Anglican minister for 40 years. And it's widely believed, however, that their mother, Susanna, was their main mentor and influence. It's without question that both mothers and fathers play important roles in the lives of their children. If one parent is absent, the child will be profoundly affected. Parenting is a major responsibility because God entrusts our children into our hands and care, and the Lord gives us the privilege to help to shape and mold their lives and their futures. But a recent study on family spirituality showed that Christians are more likely to point to their mothers as the greatest influence in their lives, more than their fathers. The study was conducted by Barna, and it concluded that teenagers were more likely to pray with their mother than with their father. The research showed that Christian teenagers are more likely to say that their mother is the one who encourages them to go to church who talks with them about God's forgiveness, and who teaches them about the Bible. According to the findings, fathers take the lead only when teenagers need money, or when they need logistical help, or when they want a parent to play sports. But I'm so very grateful to God that in my life, both my father and my mother were equally instrumental in teaching me about the saving grace 
of the good news of salvation through Jesus the Messiah. Well, in the Barna study, 68% of those interviewed said that their mother's faith had influenced them the most. And it's interesting that 37% said that their grandparents' faith had influenced them. The article asked the question, is this a new trend highlighting the spirituality of mothers over fathers? Well, although the study might seem surprising, Barna said that it's not a new discovery that Christians credit their mothers for influencing their faith the most. This shouldn't be surprising when you think of the nurturing role that God created into mothers. Recently, I posted a photo of myself with my brother with our mother of blessed memory. And one of my friends on Facebook observed how my mother gathered us to her side like a mother hen. It was a beautiful comment and Jesus knew this idiom well when he beheld Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. At that time he cried, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Baruch Habah Beishem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That amazing prophecy foretells that the Jewish nation will in fact summons Jesus to return. Well, in recent decades, much emphasis has been devoted to promoting career women and feminism, while the crucial role of motherhood in the nurturing element of parenthood has been sidelined and in many cases tragically downplayed. A whole generation of latchkey children return from school to an empty home with little parental supervision because their parent or parents are away at work. The motivation and power of mothers definitely needs to be recovered. And that's why Susanna Wesley is a role model on the par, I believe, with many great women of the Bible. In fact, she was a biblical woman in the sense that she furthered the kingdom of God by bringing up godly children like Hannah and, and like Mary, the mother of our Lord. And two of Susanna's children changed the course of world and church history. Susanna instilled in the Wesley brothers Christian values and the biblical truth that this world will not continue forever under the rule of mere fallible men, but that Jesus will return and bring justice and righteousness to the earth for a thousand years. And such was the power of Susanna's influence that in our generation, her children are still well known. John Wesley was voted number 50 in the BBC's poll of the 100 greatest Britons. He traveled a quarter of a million miles by horseback. They tell me that's a distance equal to 10 circuits of the globe along the equator. And he preached 40,000 sermons as leader of a revival movement known as Methodism because of the methodical worship that John and Charles practice with like-minded friends in Oxford's Holy Club. These men purposed to lead consecrated lives, to receive the Lord's table once a week, to pray daily, to give alms and visit prisons regularly. 
And a key step in the development of Wesley's ministry was, like his contemporary George Whitfield, to travel and preach outdoors. Wesley didn't seek to break with the Anglican Church, but his beliefs that the church should reform by returning to the simplicity of the gospel just proved intolerable to the establishment. So after Anglican pulpits closed to him, Wesley preached in the open air to audiences estimated in the tens of thousands. Sometimes he began preaching at daybreak, and regularly he preached three times a day. The horseback preacher ordained many other traveling preachers. And one of my ancestors was a Methodist circuit preacher. His saddlebags became a family treasure. Well, John Wesley must have inherited his mother's strong constitution because she gave birth to 19 children and he lived to be 87. Recently, we were privileged to visit Wesley's hometown of Epworth in Lincolnshire in England, where we saw the grave of his father, Samuel. Samuel was the vicar of the Anglican Church, St. Andrews of Epworth. And when John was no longer permitted to preach inside that church, he used his father's grave as a platform where he stood to preach to crowds in the churchyard. Epworth is a small town about 150 miles north of London, and the town center today looks much the same as in Wesley's day. The Red Lion Inn, where Wesley stayed on his visits after his father's death, is still open. These are also the steps at the town's market cross where Wesley preached many times in the open air. And as I said, Susanna and her husband Samuel had 19 children. Women gave birth to many children in those days because often newborns simply didn't live into childhood. Nine of the Wesley siblings died as infants, including two sets of twins. One of the fascinating facts that I learned was that Susanna Wesley herself was number 25 of 25 children. Think about that. God had planned such a great destiny for her, yet 24 children had preceded her, and she was the very last in a long line. So when you consider how much smaller families are today and the large number of abortions that take place, who can but wonder what potentially great persons are missing from history? Some people are afraid to have children for any number of reasons, but faith-filled parents are equipped with many Bible promises that God will save and protect our offspring. And children that die before the age of accountability are safe with the Lord. Well, also during our visit to Epworth, I was reminded of John Wesley being way ahead of his times in his worldwide vision. Even in the 1700s, he claimed, the world is my parish. He dared to describe his ministry as global, although the only real globetrotting that he did was a missionary voyage to America and, of course, all of his exploits on horseback. Today, thanks to the providence of God, every believer can potentially rise to the challenge of a worldwide ministry. With Wesley, we can truly say the world is our parish due to our access to the World Wide Web. I can literally share the gospel 24-7 through the Internet, and my husband and I take great interest at looking at statistics of all of the nations that are touched 
during any given week of our broadcasts. Charles Wesley also helped to lead the Methodist movement with preaching and writing hymns. But Susanna Wesley is known as the mother of the Methodist Church. Without her spirituality and character, her sons would not have impacted the world. She was the primary source of her children's education. They were all tutored, daughters included, in classical and biblical studies. Great mothers spend quality time with their children. It's a task that simply can't be delegated to others. Among the hardships that Susanna endured was being abandoned by her husband for over a year. She famously wrote to him that she was the mistress of a large family. And though she said the superior charge of the souls in their family was his responsibility, yet in his long absence, she looked upon every soul left under her charge as a talent committed to her trust. So she determined to methodically delegate her time in order to spend hours apart with each child. On Monday, she talked with her daughter Molly, on Tuesdays with another child, on Wednesday with another, and so on and so forth. Great mothers also instill a sense of destiny into their children. When the Wesley family's vicarage was burned down, all the children were accounted for except young John. Just before the roof collapsed, he was rescued from a second-story window. He never lost the sense of destiny that Susanna had instilled in him. As she said, he was a brand plucked from the fire. This is the famous painting of five-year-old John Wesley being rescued from that fire that destroyed the old rectory. We saw the painting inside the Red Lion Inn where we stayed, the same inn where Wesley also lodged. Because his mother declared John a brand snatched from the fire, that image would stay with him for the remainder of his life. Susanna was quoting a Bible idiom that's found in Amos 4.11 and Zechariah 2.3. Concerning the high priest Joshua, Zechariah 2.3 declares, the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. For is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Think about it. We're all rescued from fire by the hand of God. Even so, it happened that divine mercy saved many individuals who were snatched from the fires of the Holocaust. I think often of the mother of my intercessory friend, Mary Lev, of blessed memory. Mary and I were prayer partners for many years in Jerusalem. Mary's mother was indeed a brand plucked from the fires of Auschwitz. Mary's mother was snatched out of the gas chamber because of her youth. Before the door closed, a guard grabbed her arm, pulled her out, and put her to work in a factory. And because she lived, my friend Mary was born. Susanna Wesley used the tragedy that destroyed their home to instill in John Wesley a sense of destiny. The whole incident wasn't wasted or lost on them. Bible commentaries on the firebrand verses teach that salvation is completely a divine act. We can't save ourselves. Only the Savior can save us. The verse most instilled in me by my mother of blessed memory is Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, 
And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Yes, our salvation is holy from God through the atoning merits of his son, Jesus, Yeshua. We can't pull ourselves out of the fire. Only God can save us. And he sent Jesus to rescue us. He's the fourth man in the fire of the furnace of Babylon. And he is the fireman in our life who rescues us. Well, there's a sense of astonishment in Zechariah 2.3 at the preservation of the high priest Joshua because the verse asks, is he not a brand plucked from the fire? But a marvelous rescue isn't confined just to people in the Bible or to John Wesley. Every true believer has been snatched from hell fire. So we can truly say, I am a brand saved by grace. And are we not all trophies of God's grace? If God has chosen us and saved us, then let him rebuke Satan on our behalf. Satan can't destroy the ones God has chosen. And he can't destroy Jerusalem, although he desires to divide and destroy Jerusalem. And ultimately, he will intoxicate the nations to try to come against Jerusalem in the last days. But God says Jerusalem will be an immovable rock. Satan is our real antagonist. He is the accuser of the brethren and the antagonist against Jerusalem. In Zechariah chapter 2, after the Babylonian exile, the high priest Joshua was wearing old, filthy garments, symbols of sin and defilement. But his filthy garments were taken away by divine intervention, and Joshua was clothed in new garments, symbolic of the nation's guilt being removed and the nation being restored from degradation. A mitre, a headdress, an emblem of dignity was put on Joshua's head because the nation was raised up once again. And the same thing is occurring in our day, year by year, right before our eyes, as God is restoring Zion prior to the second coming of Jesus. Notice that the Lord rebukes Satan on behalf of us and Israel. And we have to face the stark truth that in God's eyes, we are a fallen race in a dangerous and dreadful condition of sin. But we can be rescued from the fires. We can be clothed in the garments of salvation. Yeshua's righteousness that's imputed to us. And our scorched condition can be healed and restored. Like the friends of the prophet Daniel in the Bible who were rescued from the furnace of Babylon. We are objects of God's love. And so how worthy of praise and gratitude is the divine power that rescues us. Susanna Wesley understood that, and she was engaged in much spiritual warfare and tireless work to raise godly offspring. When her husband was away in London, she felt the burden to continue to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so she assembled her children every Sunday afternoon for family services. That was considered scandalous in those days, a woman preaching. Yet such was the power of her home meetings that the locals began to ask if they could attend. And at one point, there were over 200 people attending. Well, one of Samuel's associates complained, so Samuel Wesley wrote to his wife asking her to stop. Her response made the case for why those meetings should continue. She wrote to her husband and asked if he was willing to absolve her from all guilt for neglecting the opportunity when they should both appear before the great tribunal of the Lord. 
Well, after that, Samuel didn't say another word about Susanna's home services. In Leadership Lessons from the Life of Susanna Wesley, great mothers are recognized by the achievements of their children. It logically follows that a great mother should have great children. Great mothers understand that change in society can begin with their children. And the impact of Susanna's children does still continue. That's why great parents don't relegate responsibility for the spiritual nourishment of their children to others. God requires that we teach His Word to our children according to His commandment found in the Torah in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In verses 6 through 9, God gives a command that demands implicit obedience by all responsible parents. That passage says, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, he said, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up in the morning. He said, tie his commands as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so this teaches us that we're to be constantly talking about the precepts of the Lord. Teach children from the cradle the value of the scriptures. Tell them that the authoritative word of God, that this is the best book in the world, that it's to be desired more than gold. And you know what? Like will produce like. Children tend to become like their parents. But when fathers fail to show up, often single moms do become great mothers of great children, despite the handicap of an absentee father. Furthermore, now that I'm a grandmother, I want to hasten to say that grandparents have a great opportunity to impact the lives of our grandchildren. In 2 Timothy 1.5, the Apostle Paul reminded his protege Timothy that Timothy had been instructed not only by a godly mother, Eunice, but also by a godly grandmother, Lois, and that they had instructed him in the faith, and that faith was alive in him. I like the story of an influential grandmother. A Christian man said that he owed a great deal of his faith to the character of his granny. He said, Granny just sat by the fire, and when we were good, she smiled. And when we were wild, she also smiled. But if we were ever mean, she sighed. He said, We all loved her, and nobody did as much for us as Granny. Well, before I close today, I want to return to the Bible idiom of sticks snatched out of the fire. And I have to warn you that being in a state of sin is precarious, highly dangerous. We can't rescue ourselves, but we can cry out for help. If you want peace with God, you must come to God in His prescribed way. You must have the help of the Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is the great mediator between us and God. He drives Satan away with his command, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Thankfully, the Bible teaches that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and delivered. So I encourage you with all of my heart to call upon the Lord Jesus while there's time and to receive him now. Don't put off that decision because God never promised us tomorrow. Today, if you hear his voice, respond. Amen. Now I want to invite you to join me in conversation on the social media 
or you can also contact me at our website, exploits.tv, where you can sign up to receive our electronic newsletter, Exploits. And a reminder to take advantage of our Jerusalem Channel app, where you can watch all of our videos free of charge. Just download it to your phone or tablet from the App Store. And so until we're together again, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg, Shalom, and Maranatha.